Hello, members, friends, and neighbors of Peace Lutheran Church in beautiful downtown Puyallup, Washington, to the Church's Podcast, a weekly podcast together in the Word on Pioneer and Third, wherein we get to meet each other and get to know each other a little bit better as a congregation and as community members. Uh, but we also get a chance to talk a little bit about the Bible. And so I'm pleased to get a chance to do that today with my guest for episode 21, Leanne Mahaffey. Thanks, Leanne, for being on the podcast. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. Um, Leanne, if you would let us know a little bit more about yourself, tell us a little bit about your life, your family, and maybe what brought you and keeps you at peace. Well, I have a wonderful husband named Tim, and I have three kids. Two were his kids from his first marriage, Livia and John, and then Tim and I have Cooper together. And so I say I'm the mom of three, and um, they're all wonderful in their own ways. Uh, Lydia and John are adults, and out and about, and having a job and a career, and one is married, and one is um, dating seriously. And then Cooper is going to be 16, and he is taking driver's ed and learning to drive. So that's its own thing. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Um, Are you wearing your helmet? No. (laughs) <laughs> he does such a good job. He's so Cooper's very much a rule follower. Oh, good. When he when he wants to, oh, right? Sure, yeah. He's, it's about there's rules and you need to live within them. And um, I should be making a turn and I need this much distance. And so he's really careful. Good and for him. he does a good job on his turns, which is always the challenging part, right? When you turn, are you in the right spot where you want it to be? Um, so he has been. He does a really good job. I haven't been scared even once. So, um, but it's, he needs to build up his confidence so that we can go out on busier roads, not just in the housing development we live in. Yeah, good. We're a work in progress on that. That, you know what, that actually, you know, I always joke about students taking driver's ed as if, you know, new drivers are somehow more dangerous than experienced drivers, but it's probably the opposite, right? It's probably that new drivers are even more careful and more cautious because they're learning uh, and yeah, like maybe it's the maybe it's the having to boost the confidence and and take those those additional risks involved in busier roads and and freeways and yeah. things. That's really the that's really the difficult part. Yeah, because the only way to of course with life, the only way to get experience is to actually go out and experience it, and then something goes wrong and you learn from it. But yeah. you don't. It wouldn't it be great if we could just skip the things went wrong part. Oh, excellent! Yes, wow, you're going deep already. That's wonderful. Ooh. Yeah, driver's ed as a metaphor for life. <laughs> I like that. This I believe, right? There's a sermon in uh, there somewhere, yeah. <laughs> um, I was not raised Lutheran, though. I was raised in American Baptist in a town called Port Angeles, Washington, and it's a really small town. And we were not those kind of American Baptists. We were the liberal ones in town. Like, we held the dances as opposed to saying you can't go to dances. Um and I just was always raised in the church and went to church. And um, then when I went away to college, I stopped going to church. And I did a couple of the campus youth things, and they were very much more of the born-again type. Mm-hmm. You know, when did you give your life to Jesus this time? You know, it's like, well, I've always believed, so mm-hmm. why would I need to do it again? I just, it was really, it's a different way of thinking about yes. God and religion, and it just kind of escaped me um because i just didn't i'd always believed because i'd always believed since i was you know old enough to know Mm -hmm. and i didn't understand how you could be born that born again idea yeah um 
So I um, ended up graduating from college, got a job in Puyallup, and I met Lisa Woodbury, who was living across the hall from me in my apartment complex, and we became friends. And she, um, she, and then Bo moved home from California, um, and they invited me to Yukon at PLU, and that was my first Lutheran experience. So my very first Lutheran liturgy was Susan Briel. Uh, and Martin, um, but Susan was preaching, and I can still remember her sermon. It was about salt and how we keep salt fresh. And that was many, many, that was decades ago, but I can still remember it. Wow. She's such a gifted speaker. And the fact that everybody stood up and sang through the whole service, because that's not, as Baptists, you know, we would sing anthems, but that was about it. And Lutherans sang the service, and it was amazing. And my very first Lutheran liturgy was now the Feast and Celebration. Oh, wonderful. So, yeah, how can you go wrong with that? Yeah, you were spoiled, so to speak, with a sermon <laughs> from Susan Briel about salt and a beautiful Lutheran liturgy. At, you, you said UConn, that's University Congregation at PLU, which is also a place that others in our congregation have had powerful experiences um, growing in faith, too. So I'm so glad that you, I'm so glad you moved in across the hall from Lisa Woodbury, or, <laughs> oh, or did no it, wasn't the other way around? No, um, I don't know. I I think she moved in after me, but she was just there, and um, I'm just so grateful. That has changed my life in so many ways, because I got to be friends with them, and they took me to church with them, and I got to experience Lutheranism, and then at some point they said, you know, we want to go to a church where um, where the, the, the congregation isn't changing every semester or every year, and they started huh. church hunting, and they took me along with them, and I got to... Um, and I didn't know what I was looking for because I was just along for the ride. But I was so grateful that they picked peace, and it just seemed like a good place. I felt like I'd found church home, and it's always it just has been church home ever since. Oh, that's that wonderful. Twenty five, twenty seven years ago. Wow, something like that. Long time. Wow, great story. I'm I'm always thrilled to hear people's journeys of faith and the ways that different you know chapters along the way, different stretches in the road have impacted you. And I'm really grateful for the way that people describe peace as a welcoming place to land, um, but also how how folks will describe, you know, powerful religious experiences from, from childhood, right? And, and even earlier, you know, um, if I can reflect just briefly on your, your confusion around sort of the born again uh, stream of Christianity. Uh, of course, Lutherans believe that we're born again you know, by water and the spirit in baptism, of course. Uh, uh-huh. But you're right; it's a different way of understanding it. You know, this notion of giving your life to Jesus. Um, some folks in some traditions can point to a moment where they made a decision to say, "I'm going to follow Jesus. Uh, I'm going to give my life to Jesus." And, and for many folks in our tradition, often it feels as though we've just sort of been waiting in the water all our lives. At least those of us who are raised in this tradition. And instead of giving ourselves to Jesus, we just have this profound sense that Jesus has always been giving his life for us, right? Uh, Yeah. And so there's just a slightly different emphasis there uh, on on God's activity, kind of being held by God all along, as opposed to sort of being on the outside until you make a choice to be on the inside. Of course, you know, we, we all have to make choices about our faith, about our relationships, about our commitment to our vocations every day, too. It's just we don't think of it in terms of, um, a one-time or a repeated kind of uh, 
conversion experience, if that makes sense. We sort of yes. believe we've been converted once by God in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, um, and that that sort of makes all the difference. Anyway, I don't know if that speaks truth to you, but, but yeah. um, that's kind of how I've made sense of the distinction there between those traditions. Yeah, and I don't mean to disparage of course the not. other view, but it's it's just so different because it's exactly you described it. So I've just been wading in the water, and it's, yeah. God has always been there, yeah. and um, always, even when I wasn't paying attention, right? He's sure. always there. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, and coming to peace also changed my life, and that that's where I met my husband. Oh, sure. Um, as the as a former assistant pastor said, I think that you should meet. I think you should meet Tim, and. We connected, and that was it. Wow, so cool. I, without, without peace, I wouldn't have met my husband, and I wouldn't have the family that I have now, and I wouldn't have the life I have now. So truly life-altering. And it's all the Woodbury's fault, right? That's right. Blame Lisa. Or yeah. maybe blame the, the manager, the property manager at that apartment <laughs> complex for letting her in, or letting you in. I can't remember. which exactly. Who got there first? Exactly. Because <laughs> without that, my life would have taken a really completely different trajectory. That's amazing. Well, you know, it's, I sense that you sort of feel the hand of God in that. And, and, you know, it's awfully difficult to imagine how that kind of thing will happen. But sometimes in retrospect, we can definitely see the ways that we've been cared for and guided. Um, anyway, that's wonderful. Thanks for sharing your story. Um, you know, this podcast started in the, our time in quarantine, our time of separation as a church. And so I always know how long we've been apart as a congregation at least physically, because I know how many episodes we've had, and that's one episode <laughs> per week. So it's been 21 weeks since we've oh. been separate as a church, and we haven't gathered uh, as a church, which feels like an eternity, uh, continues to feel like an eternity. But because of that separation, you know, we've also birthed this new ministry, and this this podcast is, a, is the result of that. I wonder if you'd be willing to reflect with me a little bit about your time in quarantine as a result of the COVID-19 outbreak. How have you been getting through, Leanne? Um, well, it turns out I'm a stress baker. <laughs> and um, I've definitely gained some weight because um, I love to bake. And my family doesn't necessarily eat it, and then I end up eating it, whether it be bread or cookies or cake or shortbread or whatever it is, or you know, banana bread or whatever it is that I'm making. Um, and I've done a lot of reading since summer started. Um, I'm a school teacher, and so we finished out the school year, um, you know, from March 13th, that was the last day we were in school, till June 18th or 20th or whatever that was. Um, so that part of it, I was still a stress baker, but not as much as since summer started, because um, I, would, I would get up, get on the computer, get to work at, you know, 7.30 down the hall <laughs> from the bedroom to the sewing room slash office. Um, and I'd work from like 7.30 until 11.30 at night. Tim would come up um, on his way to me and goes, are you still working? I'm like, yep, I got stuff to do. And there's yeah. a list was always permanently long. It never seemed to get any shorter. Huh. So, um, and then I'd take a spot there in the middle and I would, you know, do something for an hour or two in the middle, but then I'd go back to answering emails and taking care of kiddos and parents and all of that. So um, it was, and I'd be home all day with Cooper, who, trying to convince him to do schoolwork. And it was, the, I think he really turned into a vampire that, you know, stay up all night and sleep all day. And I could see that in my students. Um, huh. Not that it's not concerning, but I could see it in my students online. And most of them weren't doing stuff during the day, but I'd get emails at 1130 at night, 2 in the morning, 
um, from kids and work would be submitted at three in the morning because sure. it's just that teenage inclination to, you know, be a night owl anyway. Um, Amplified that, by the lack of structure. Absolutely. It's like college. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so it was, it was hard because I'm still trying to parent my, the 16 year old while still trying to take care of teaching and the teaching one more often than not, because I had to, there was so much that I had to do. And I felt, and it was, one of my colleagues said, I feel like um, I'm doing a third of the job, but I'm working three times as hard. Yes. And it really did feel like that, because I didn't feel like I was, the things that let me know I'm an effective teacher, none of those markers were there. Right. And um, it was just really, that was super challenging. Um, I really so, resonate with that. Um Similar, similar turn of phrase, but someone in the church said, I think the reason that a lot of us pastors are so exhausted is because we're spending twice as much time on things we know half as much about. Yep. Right? Exactly. So if it's technology or it's, you know, finding a new way to teach or a new way to connect, that all takes a ton of energy, more energy than it should because it's all new. And it makes you feel like maybe you're not even accomplishing as much. Even if you are, you can't tell because it's a new way of communicating and you're not really getting the same kind of feedback. Yep. And oh, wow. it's just like every new thing, it's like, oh, we'll just make, you know, just do a video. Well, that takes 10 times as long as it would just to say it. Of course. And, you know, and then and then you're learning how to do it. And somebody said, well, just do blank. Well, that's four hours down a rabbit hole to figure that out. Okay, now you've figured out the first step of the process. Okay, step two, you just need to blank. Okay, well, that's an eight-hour trip (laughs) somewhere else in, you know, the digital world. And so by the time you finally figured it out, it's so much time invested, you've almost forgotten what you were trying to figure out in the first place. Right. Everything everything is new. And as a matter of fact, we were just, uh, I'm doing professional development for um, this fall, and it's a, the, it's called an LMS, the Learning Management System. There's different, several different major platforms that we use, and the course is using a particular one that I am not familiar with. And so the instructor said, well, just do blank, blank, and blank. And this is all stuff I have to have done before I can start the right. the connected part of the course. And I couldn't even do the first thing because I had no idea. And so by the time I was a half, a half an hour in, I'd already been sobbing. Right. <laughs> I couldn't make it work. It was so frustrating. And I, I hope that I hang on to that feeling because it was so frustrating for me. I wasn't even anywhere close to getting to the learning because of all the other hurdles. So I hope that I hang on to that feeling and recognize that for my students because I'm going to get more familiar with the, you know, with Desmos and Canvas and Schoology and all of these different things that I need to know how to do. And it's going to feel new for them. And right. I hope that I remember that and give them grace. Oh, that's very compassionate. All new. Yeah, that's very compassionate. Yeah, I recorded a sermon for another congregation that that has is having a transition between pastors. And um, the hardest part was not the was not the preaching itself. It wasn't even the recording it on my phone. It was the figuring out a way to get a file that size, a 10-minute video, you know, communicated to the person who needed it so that she could put it into their pre-recorded worship so it's again the, the difficult part was the part i didn't know how to do right the part i've never yeah. learned how to do so yeah similar similar story exactly. thank you thank you i appreciate that reflection it has been frustrating for a lot of us who've continued even as i'm thankful to have meaningful work to do uh it's still yeah. it's difficult to reinvent it right completely reinvent it 
Yeah, do everything you've always done before, but do it in a completely different way. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. You've got two days to figure it out. Go. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. And well, we are thinking of you and, and praying for you as you prepare for the new school year. Thank you. Thank you. We have a lot of teachers in our congregation. That goes for all of you, too. Um, the other question I've been asking folks, Leanne, is sort of a larger, a bigger picture question about um, COVID-19 and, and the new world that we're living in as a result. Um, and it has to do with kind of the, the question about, you know, how are we going to, how are we all going to come out of this? What kind of changes are going to occur as a result of this? And um, the prayer being, of course, that crisis brings out our best and not our worst. I think it can do both. Um, but if, imagine with me for a moment that this particular crisis, when it comes to an end, however many months or years that is from now, imagine that it brings out our best as a community, as a nation. What would that look like if you had your way? Oh, it's hard to imagine best right now. Um, I'm still, I'm struggling with, because we're pretty much rule followers. I think Lutherans are rule followers in general, (laughs) but I, we're rule followers. Like we wear masks and we only go to the grocery store and we haven't had friends over and we don't go out and eat in restaurants, right? We get takeout and come home. Mm. You know, we just, we are not being, we're not being social. I've seen the same three people for far too long. I love my husband and my son, but it's 21 weeks, right? And I want to see other people. Um, and I'm, I'm struggling. I'm feeling really frustrated that I don't feel like we're any further now than we were 21 weeks ago. In fact, we're worse. Yeah, off. we're worse so off I'm, as far as infection rate. Yeah. So I'm, I'm struggling with the, that, that vision of everything's done and we're all better. And what does that look like? Um, I've noticed that as we've gone through this, it really feels like... Um, the crisis, the COVID has really just brought out more of whoever we were before. If you were a kind person, you're even kinder. If you were a jerk, you seem to be even more of a jerk. Hmm. Um, if you're angry about life, you're even angrier than you were before. So hmm. I think that, not that I want us to necessarily return to where we were before, but some sense of less magnification. I'm hoping huh. that when we're on the other side, some of that that anger and the frustration and the meanness and the way people talk to each other, because now it's all on social media because you can't talk to each other in person. I hope that some of that dials back and I hope maybe that the kindness and the uh, caring side and the good things that are coming, you know, the good pieces and the good information that people are sharing can move forward. Um, So take the edge off a little bit is what I hear you saying. Like maybe we can just take the edge off a little bit when our anxiety level is lower. Yeah, and I think you're onto something. And we can forgive each other, maybe. Yeah, because I don't know about the forgetting, but there's a lot of people have said and done things that are hard to forgive. Yeah, and so I think that on the other side of that, us coming out of it successfully means that we're able to forgive each other for some of the hurt and that the, the things that anxiety are causing, and maybe we'll be able to recognize, oh, that was about the anxiety, not about their their true heart or they didn't mean it that way and it was about the medium not about what they were really intending fear Um, and anxiety have a way of taking control there's no doubt about that yeah and i can you know as a parent when i see my kiddo anxious and upset and he has an overblown response i'm better now 
at not reacting to it because I look and I go, ooh, that's about anxiety. That's not about the fact that I just asked him to take the garbage out. That's right. About, yeah, it's not about, that's about, it's not about me. Yeah. It's about you. Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, and as soon as you <laughs> and, can come to that realization and be sort of self-differentiated from that kind of explosive tendency in these times, mm-hmm. the, the more compassionate you can be, as you've said before, like, you can you can kind of recognize oh okay this is a this is sort of a cry for help even if the person who's exploding doesn't meet doesn't know that that's what it is it's kind of a yeah uh, an an indication of how they're doing and maybe i can i can treat them with a little bit more empathy and and care easier said than done (laughs) yeah yeah speaking of anxiety and caring and empathy the gospel for this coming sunday is from Matthew 14, um, verses 22 to 33, it's the famous story in Matthew's version of Jesus walking on the sea. And um, it's a story all about anxiety and care. Uh, <laughs> yes. And so I wonder if, if you might be willing to have some conversation with me about that. Yes, it's so appropriate about how we get through difficult times, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, again, as I said, it's uh, Matthew 14, 22 to 33. Uh, And I'll go ahead and read it, and then we'll have some conversation around three basic questions that our church uses to study the Bible. Okay, so this is, again, one more time, Matthew 14, 22 to 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, He was there alone, but by this time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, Why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Okay, so the three questions that we like to use to jump off into conversations about Holy Scripture at peace are the following. First, simply, what did you notice? Was there a word or a phrase or an image or something that popped out at you this time? Second question is, what questions do you have? Does this story trouble you in some way or is there uh, something confusing about it? Uh, Has it made you think about something else that you can't quite remember what it is? Those kinds of questions. And again, of course, you don't have to have an answer to the question. Sometimes the best questions are the ones that don't have an answer. And finally, uh, the last question is, what will you take from this story this time around for today? In other words, how does this word take flesh in your life? That first question is maybe the simplest. Do you want to start there? Sure. So what um, do you notice? What's 
I looked at several, when you um, told me the verses, I looked at um, several different versions because my phone app has like any version of the Bible you want on it. And I read two or three different um, versions of it. And some of them said, don't be afraid. Some of them said, have courage. And one said, take heart. And I loved the take heart version because it, to me, I don't interpret that the same as courage. You know, when somebody says, be brave or have courage, I'm like, how, right? Something <laughs> yeah. scary or awful. Be brave. Well, if I could, I would already. Thanks for that helpful advice. Yeah, right. It's like telling um, a person who's not calm to calm down. Yes, unhelpful. And then when the version that says take heart, that just felt more hopeful somehow. Like, okay, we can we, we can do this together. That has more of a we can do this together feeling than just be brave. Come on. It feels less dismissive. It's it's almost more of an invitation. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Good. Good. Yes. Oh yeah. Just uh, buck up and and pull yourself up and get through it. Doesn't. It's not especially compassionate, right? Be brave. Just yes. just be brave. You'll be fine. Don't be afraid. You know, there's a ghost walking toward you. Don't be afraid. Right. As opposed to take heart, which is sort of like you know, you know, here I am. Right. Uh, yeah. As you said, we can we can make it together. Uh, it's gonna be okay. Yeah, wonderful. That's and that's a very different feeling. Yeah, wonderful. You know, um, I noticed that word too, and and uh, it makes me think about heart language and how we use heart language uh, to describe, you know, real deep down truths that maybe we can't describe otherwise. That that there's something about language of the heart that kind of gets at the deepest human experiences, which are not always positive. I mean, this is a very negative experience that the disciples are having until, mm-hmm. of course, Jesus rescues Peter and steps into the boat and stills the storm. Um, it's, still heart, it's still heart language. And, and I think we use a lot of heart language that way. Yeah, and I mean, it really, like, if you think about that, like these, a lot of these, the disciples, they were fishermen. The rough seas were not anything new for them. Sure. So for, for it to be a rough enough sea that they were scared means that it was, you know, a really windy day, really stormy, right? Sure. Um, it took a. I've had to have taken a lot for these guys to be scared, and and so it's just it had to be pretty bad. And I think about that in terms of coronavirus. Like it's a scary sure. time. Yeah. And it's. I don't feel very courageous or brave, yeah. but I do feel like I can take heart. I Wonderful. feel like I can take a step and then take another step and then take another step, and so that feels more helpful or hopeful than, well, I'm supposed to be, have some courage and I'm not feeling it. Right? Yeah, I love that distinction. You know, you brought up an interesting point that, that um, the disciples don't actually express terror until they see the ghost walking toward them, right? <laughs> like the waves are bad. I mean, it, it's, it, that's definitely um, part of the story, right? The, the wind is against them and they've been battered by the waves. It's definitely a struggle, but they're not terrified until they see the figure of Jesus. That's an interesting thing to notice. Uh, and then, of course, they think it's a ghost. Um, it certainly is the, the, the walking on the sea, the walking on the water part is the part that captures the popular imagination, right? Like this notion of a human being walking on the water is just uh, unimaginable, right? And, and that's true, not just for post-Enlightenment thinkers who think, well, that's physically impossible. It breaks the law of nature, right? That's also true for the ancient people because... It is a very divine-like thing, in especially in the Hebrew scriptures. Only God walks on the sea, right? Only God is capable 
of trampling the waves. So even the disciples would have been flabbergasted by such a such a vision. And the early listeners of this story would have been too. What's so interesting though is they've spent they're spending all their time with Jesus. He's only been gone, like, what, six hours? Yeah, or however long. We don't know, yeah. <laughs> right, I mean, they, they said it's four in the morning. One of the versions said it's four in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Jesus heads out on the water. Yeah. So they haven't been without him for very long. Did they not know what he looked like? Ah, I mean, interesting, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I suppose I would be freaked out if, you know, there was someone walking toward me on water. But couldn't they see that this was their friend, their leader, that they have just spent, you know, days and weeks and months and however long traveling with him and talking to him, you would think they would have recognized him. But maybe that was just one thing too many, right? That was the one thing that put them over the edge. Right, exactly. The, I can't handle this. Society. Forget it. The, the storm was enough. Uh, ghosts, no thank you. Bye, Felicia. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I'm out. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, I get that. You, you've sort of, I love, you've sort of fallen into that second question. I love the way these questions just kind of flow together. What questions do you have? And you've raised this great question. What, why couldn't they recognize him? Um, but that's a good question for the whole gospel. You, if you recall that, that's also the question of recognizing who Jesus is, is also um, a factor in post-resurrection stories. If you recall, for instance, uh-huh. in John, Mary Magdalene doesn't recognize Jesus until he calls her by name, right? She thinks he's the gardener. Uh-huh. Uh, and then he, he says, Mary, and she says, oh, Rabuni, teacher, it's you. And the disciples on the road to Emmaus who don't know who Jesus is, even though presumably they were walking with him for a while until the last few days when he was crucified. And yet in resurrection, they can't recognize him until he reveals himself to them in the breaking of the bread. So this like recognizing or not recognizing Jesus is this really interesting dynamic, especially near the end. Um, and, and this, this story kind of sounds like a resurrection story, doesn't it? It sort of sounds like the Jesus who is fully expressing the power of God for life and for peace, right? This is, this is more the post Easter Christ to me than it, than it is the pre-Easter Jesus in my mind. Uh So it's not surprising that they would be like, now, wait a minute, what? Who is that? We're not sure. We can't quite tell who it is until, of course, he reaches out and rescues our friend, steps into the boat, and then suddenly we recognize him. Truly, you are the son of God. I I think that's fascinating. Great question. And the other thing that I, I struggle with when I read the miracles, and Matthew is, you know, all of this, this section is all about the miracles. Yes. Um, is the miracles make me uncomfortable in that if he's, if Jesus says, you have little faith, why did you doubt? You, and it's like, I've been here all along, I'm here, just hold my hand and I'll take care of you, it's fine, don't worry. But then why they he saved Peter, but then why doesn't he save me when I pray for something? Uh, why do why do bad yes. things happen? Yeah. Why do nineteen year olds die from COVID? Yeah. I'm sure that that kiddo's family is praying was praying really hard for yeah. him to be on the come through the other side, but Absolutely. they didn't get that. Yeah. So what makes Peter so special? Yeah. And why am I not so special? You yeah. know, and that's the whole thing with miracles in general is. Well, if I, where two or more of you are gathered, and all you have to do is ask. Well, okay, we're asking. Why am I not getting? Yeah, it's not quite that simple, is it? Yeah. (laughs) Um, That's the great question, of course, of the faith. I would say that's the great question of spirituality in general is um, when and how does God act, uh, Uh if God acts at all? 
uh, and some people come to the conclusion that no, God doesn't act, and if God is real, then God is distant or God is cruel. Uh, some people would say, well, there is no God, right? This is all just a fairy tale. Uh, yeah. Those of us who say, no, we really do believe that God is somehow active in our lives have to contend with these questions. What does it mean that, you know, those who pray for healing, for instance, don't always receive an answer, a positive answer to that prayer? And that's true, by the way, for people who are contemporaries of Jesus. I mean, you think about all the people who were sick and dying in, in the Holy Land at the time that Jesus was alive and didn't receive healing from Jesus either because he just didn't happen to be around to touch the hem of his garment, right? Uh-huh. Uh, how do we how do we contend with those facts where it seems that suffering and death and salvation are are somehow unevenly or unfairly distributed? Uh, yeah, and that's just that's that's an answer that if you if you were to come up with a good a good answer to that, Leanne, you and I should write a book and become famous. Okay, and millionaires, woo! Right, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, you know, I. That's the great question that I ask of of these stories too. What does it mean to be saved? I'm in the 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 reading from Romans that's assigned for this Sunday, the second reading, uh, Paul affirms that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's of course a reference to Peter's prayer, "Lord, save me." Right, and of course Jesus does. Uh, and so we can say it's God's will to save all who call on God, but we we certainly can't we can't, certainly can't dictate what salvation looks like in every case. Yeah, and getting what you want may not be what you're just because you want it doesn't mean that's what you're supposed to have or what you're supposed to. Right. Do, right. No is an answer too. And right, and then of course we have to in that case then we have to decide well what does salvation look like then? And, and I think that's where Christian eschatology comes in, and eschatology is the, the sort of the, the affirmation of the end of time, right? That, that God's ultimate purpose is to gather up all things into God's glorious presence and love, right? This, this view of heaven on earth at the end of the book of Revelation. And we have to believe that, uh, you know, if, if Christ is going to reach out to Peter as he sinks, Christ is also going to reach into all those places of fear and death in the end of time and pull us all out. Well, and the idea that, you know, we're, it's Christ on earth and we're called to be little Christs and make sure that his, the, the vision that is held for us is carried out now, that we, we make those things happen in right. our society yes. and that we don't have to go away or be, go to heaven to get that. Our job is to make this place more like that. Thank you. Yeah, brilliant. That we, of course, we partake in the reign of God come on earth as in heaven. Absolutely. Yeah. Really important. So uh, another question would be, what does it look like for us to participate in the kind of salvation that is described in this story, right, of the walking on the sea? What does it mean for us? Where do we see ourselves? Are we in the boat observing this, becoming emboldened um, and more hopeful by this story of salvation so that we can continue the the important work of justice and mercy and love and peace? Uh, Are we Peter putting God to the test and then having to rely on God's grace to pull us out when things don't go well? Or are we, as you said, you, you quoted Luther, little Christs, right? Little little saviors for each other from time to time, inspired by um, God's grace and mercy in our lives to be gracious and merciful to others. I mean, I suppose we could be any of those characters at any given time. I was going to say all of the above. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. You must be Lutheran. <laughs> um, I, well, well, yeah. Well-trained. Um, 
it's I well it's that idea like I'm sure you know that you know the little face palm emoji where you're like oh I feel like God must just have be face palming us all the right time now, like, <laughs> oh what are you thinking <laughs> okay here we go let me help you let's nudge you guide you by making sh- like making sure that people are in the right place at the right time to restore your faith or to yeah. restore your heart or to remind you that you can take heart and give you the strength to go all right I can get through today. Yeah. And it's um, just, you know, that we're, I think that we're put to be in the right place at the right time. And um, I think that, that that doesn't happen. It's not an accident. It's not a coincidence. Things, some things happen just the way they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. And um, we can help each other. And so when somebody says something to remind me, like, oh, I can do this, that's somebody whispering, that's God's work, whispering in their ear, whether they know it or not, to whisper into mine, so that take I can heart. take heart and yep. go forth, yeah. and hopefully we're doing that for each I other. Love even, even when we are test, I'm sure we are testing God all the time. <laughs> I'm just sure God is like, yeah. really? didn't we just do this? Come yeah. on. That's yeah, and, and I mean, so then... God might might be you know speaking these words of Christ. What you know? Why do you doubt? I mean, I've given you this. I've given you this rich, this rich tradition, this sacred story, these sacraments to sustain you, these people who love you. Um, you know this meaningful work to do. Uh, why you have little faith? Why do you doubt? But I mean, that's a question that God could ask me absolutely every single day of my life. Right? Why do you doubt? You have little faith, and yet I also remember that in the same gospel. I have to mention, it's the same gospel, Matthew, where you hear Jesus saying, even a mustard seed size faith could move a mountain, right? That, uh-huh. that uh, you know, if we even had a smidgen of the kind of faith uh, that Jesus expresses or that he, you know, exhorts us to have, that we could accomplish more than, more than we could imagine. Which, of course, goes to show that, you know, that's why we need God, right? That's why we... We right. constantly need to be re, you know, reinforced and, and reinvigorated and encouraged, and and we can do that for each other. Yeah, that's where that power of prayer comes in. I mean, oh sure. When, it's so interesting to me. There's, I've had a couple of health things that have happened to me um, that were when I was in it. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to put one step in front of the other and do what I need to do. And I wasn't feeling overwhelmed or scared. I mean, I was scared, but not to the point of like just a healthy, like, oh, what's going to happen? Um, but where I very easily could have just been completely overwhelmed by it and terrified, and I wasn't. And I know that that is about the power of prayer and that people were holding me up in prayer because any sane person would have been scared out of their mind. But I wasn't. I was just, all right, I'm going to do the next right thing. And that sense of calm is an overstatement for that word, but sure. the the supporting under that undergirding of, all right, this is what we're going to do, and it's it's going to be what it's going to be, and here we go, and this is that next step, that take heart. Yeah, and that pow- And I know that came from the power of prayer. That that was not my doing. I did not say, I'm going to take heart in this situation. That came from everyone else holding me up in prayer. So even the small miracles are miracles. I mean, they're not small, but that even that small act of prayer is a miracle for someone else. Mm. That's wonderful. You were buoyed by others, so to speak. Absolutely, yes. Um, yep. Wonderful. Thank you for that reflection. The The last question uh, is in some ways the most important only because I think it gets at the heart of what Holy Scripture is supposed to do for us. 
which is to interpret our lives, right? To, to, to hold us up. So that last question is how you've, you've heard this story a hundred times in your life. This time through, however, what, what will you take from it for today in the context in which you find yourself? In other words, how does this word take flesh in your life? It's, this story is a, a lovely reminder that God is with us even when it doesn't feel like it. Mm. And like right now with COVID and, and the worries and fears of school starting up and all of those, that all of the unknown that surrounding, not not that we actually can exhibit control over our lives, but COVID has really made clear that we don't have any control over our lives. It stripped away the veneer of the fact that we think we have control. Amen. Um, that um, God is with us. It doesn't, even when we don't know what to do and we're scared out of our mind, he's still there. Or God mm. is, I shouldn't say he, God is still there mm. and um, with us. And we can hang on to that. We can take heart in that. Um, even when we don't want to, and or we can't, even when we're not capable of taking heart, it's still there, and we're going to be—he's going to be there to make it, yeah. not make it better. That's not the right word. No, I know what you mean to to buoy you, right? To reach out a hand yeah. and say, "Peace be with you," and and yep. lift you out of the waves. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, that's really similar, frankly, to the the sort of the what is really speaking powerfully to me this time through. Um, which is the the notion for me the real miracle in this story is not so much the walking on the water either Jesus's or Peter's but the fact that Jesus is consistently moving toward the disciples right the disciples are moving away from him at his request of course at first uh but the fact that Jesus is consistently moving toward them and he continues to move closer to them and closer to them so that he's close enough to reach out to Peter and then so that he's finally close enough even to step into the boat. And I think the real leap of faith here is not not the the faith that requires Peter to get out of the boat and walk a few steps before he starts to sink, but the faith, as you mentioned, the miracle of faith is to believe that God is moving toward us closer and closer until God is in the same boat with us. And to hang on to that even when things are rough seas. Right, even when the storm is really especially long. right, especially when yeah. the seas are rough, and and that I suppose is is the meaning of the cross, right? This idea that we have a God who knows what it's like to experience the worst of what it is to be human being, um, and yet who promises to accompany us even beyond that. Um, there's a the quote, the quote that I've been really sticking with this week is from a theologian by the name of Frederick Beekner, and and. Um, it's all about the, the fact that the storm comes to a, a to an end in the end of the story. Uh, even if the disciples can't imagine it, eventually it ends with Jesus present in their midst. And Frederick Buechner says that resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. Oh, I love that. Resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. It doesn't mean that Christians don't face up really honestly to the really terrible things in life. And we don't pretend that life is, you know, roses and candy canes. Um, I don't know what holiday there would be roses and candy canes, but uh, it's, it's, we, we look, you know, suffering and death in the face and we do it for ourselves, but we do it for others too. But we always cling to that fact that if there is death and there is in all its forms, it's not the last thing. Resurrection is the last thing. Oh, I love that. 
Anyway, so thanks to Friedrich, Frederick Buechner. You can come back to him anytime you want. It's, it seems like he's got a never-ending treasure trove of, of beautiful reflections like that. So, oh. um, Leanne, thank you so much for your time and for your insights. Yes, this was a wonderful conversation. What fun. I'm so glad to get to know you a little better and to hear your thoughts about this story in particular. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. This was just a lovely conversation. And thank you all for listening. This has been episode 21 of Together in the Word on Pioneer and Third, uh, the podcast, weekly podcast at Peace Lutheran Church in downtown Puyallup, Washington. Until next week. <laughs>